All right, hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3 or scroll to Ephesians chapter 3, whatever you get your Bible. Go to Ephesians chapter 3 as we continue in the series. We're going to be in verses 1 to 13 this morning. As you're turning there, here's a statement that I believe is true, and it's this, that at some point, all of us will experience suffering. I'm like, oh, thanks for the encouragement, Pastor Kai. It's been minus 40 out. We already, we already know we're suffering. Like, 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 is there, like, I don't come to church to be told how awful life is. But here's the thing. We, we know this. We, 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 know, we don't like to talk about it. But the reality is this, that, that every single one of us here in this room is in one of a couple of places. We're, we're either in suffering right now or we're coming out of suffering that we've been experiencing or we're about to go into suffering. It's just the reality of the world we live in. And what I love about God's word, I love how honest the Bible is. It doesn't just deal with suffering as, oh, oh here's the one chapter about suffering. Here's the one verse you go to with suffering. But, but, but all throughout God's word, woven throughout so many chapters and in all of the books is this idea of, of suffering. You, you read through the Psalms, 150 of them, a third of them are laments. Psalms that express sorrow and pain and, and questions and confusion. Nearly all the Old Testament prophets have, have a, a, a part of their prophecy that, that includes lament, just crying out to God. The Bible's so honest that suffering is so real and suffering comes even to God's people. There's some wacky preaching out there that says if you really love Jesus, you, you shouldn't, you won't suffer. Of course, listen, it's never promised in Scripture that we wouldn't suffer. In fact, the opposite. Jesus says, hey, if I suffer, so will you. And Jesus himself suffered incredibly, unjustly. Now, the good news is this, that, that we know that in Christ, that all suffering will come to an end. That in eternity, that we will get to a place where there's no more suffering, no more tears, no more pain. But in a world right now that we live in that's filled with suffering... It's also good to know that we don't have a God that's uh, immune to it, that's separated from it, that Jesus himself has suffered. And so as we're tracking through Ephesians together, we hit chapter three, and in this book, we come face to face with suffering. In fact, look at verse one, if you've got your Bibles open. It says this in verse one, it says, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. He said, I'm a prisoner. Now, that's, that's not just in a metaphorical sense. That, that's for real. Like, he's, he's in jail. He's not writing this letter to the churches in Ephesus from a, a study in his, in his house. He doesn't have an office he's sitting in. He's not sitting out in the, the field just under a tree writing a letter. No, no, he's in prison right now as he's writing this. And prison in Paul's day wasn't, hey, you get three square meals and you get to work out in the yard. Like, that, that's not prison in Paul's day, Right? You read through Paul's life, as you read through the New Testament, you see he's in and out of prison. And sometimes prison for him would just be a hole in the ground where, where it, it talks about him being in the lower parts of the prison. That that's this, this pit that they would dig and, and you would just be down there in this dark, damp, filthy place. It's likely here as he writes to this letter to the Ephesians that, that, that many would think that the, as he's writing this, he's under house arrest, so it's, it's a bit nicer, but still Roman guards keeping him at home, guarded all the time. And, and out of this, Paul writes this, and he's, he's saying, hey, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and he stops in mid-sentence. 
Now he's gonna pick it up again. Look at verse 14. For this reason, same as verse one, for this reason. So, so there's this break in his writing. He's, he's writing this letter. He goes, hey, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he stops because I think he realizes something. He goes on this rabbit trail because he says, I'm in prison. And then says, wait a minute. This pastoral heart of Paul comes out. He's not just writing a bunch of theology for us. He's writing to people who he loves. People who love him. And so he understands as he writes out, as he dictates probably this, and, and it says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner. And he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm in prison for you. It says, for the cause of what? For you Gentiles. And he's like, he breaks off. He's like, wait, whoa, let, let me talk about why I'm in prison. Let me talk about my suffering because I don't want you to be discouraged. In fact, look at verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. Paul says, don't lose heart. He wants us to, to know how, how do we suffer well? How, how do we not forget everything he's laid out in chapters one and two? Because you can hear what he says, I'm in prison, I am suffering. And, and we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, we just went through chapters one and two where, where you've said that we're chosen, that we're loved, that we're cherished by God, we're adopted into his family, that we've been transformed and empowered by his spirit that we're raised with Christ. All his grace poured out on us. Every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places is ours. And yet, there's trials. I think Paul stops here because he realizes even with us knowing all that truth, that when trials come, we can doubt whose we are, who we are. In fact, I would say this, when suffering comes, I, I, I think the question that's less helpful when suffering comes is when we say why, I think a better question that will help us in suffering is by asking who. I mean, why is so hard? Why is so difficult to figure out? But the who, the who is very clear. Who is Jesus? Who are you in Christ? That's clear. Your identity through, through trials is so important because, listen, your, your trials don't tell you who you are. They don't establish your identity, but your identity will get you through your trials. And so in the midst of our trials, we ask, who, who is Jesus? Who am I? Listen, I'm not diminishing the trials that would be represented in this room. I mean, as a pastor, I'm, I'm aware of some of the heartbreaking trials that would fill this place. That in this room, there, there are people whose marriages are so difficult right now. That there are people here whose, whose families are being torn apart. There are people here who are wrestling with sickness. People here struggling deeply with anxiety and depression. And all of these things can, can knock us off balance. Can cause us to lose heart. To become discouraged. Sometimes it's just confusing, isn't it? And I don't have all the why answers. Listen, Jesus does. When we see him, all the why will be answered. He'll, he'll straighten it all out. I mean, that, that's a guaranteed promise from God's word. But the who, who is Jesus? Who are you? These questions are answered so clearly. And, and that answer that we have in Ephesians 1 and 2, that's the answer that's our, our hope in the midst of our trials. Because listen, listen, even the strongest follower of Christ here in a, when, when, when trials hit, we, we can lose heart. You can lose heart. You can begin to ask, man, man, who is Jesus? Who am I? 
I mean, think about John the Baptist. I, I, can't, I can't think of a, a guy who, I mean, this guy shows up on the scene, right? He's wearing weird clothes. He's eating bugs. But he's, he's the one who comes as the forerunner for the Messiah. He's the one preparing the way for Jesus. And, and everything John the Baptist says and does just, just oozes this conviction that Jesus is the Messiah. This passion for who Jesus is. I mean, he, he's the one who says, he must increase, I must decrease. That's John the Baptist. And then what happens? John the Baptist gets thrown into jail. And, and he sends word to Jesus by some of his followers. And, and, and the questions he wants to know from Jesus is this. He's, he asks this, are you the Christ or is there somebody else? If John the Baptist, this, this, this strong follower of Jesus, this one filled with so much <coughs> assurance, even he begins to lose heart. All of us at some point will go through some sort of suffering. Suffering because we live in a broken world. Suffering because of sin that we do and there's consequences to that sin. Suffering because of sin that's done to us and we feel the, the weight of, of that suffering. Suffering because there is demonic oppression and, and some could be under that kind of suffering. Suffering because you're standing up for the gospel and you're speaking for Christ and living for Jesus and you're feeling the weight of that suffering. And so Paul, being this great pastor, he's saying, listen, I'm suffering because of Jesus. I'm suffering not, not because of my sin. I'm not in jail because I broke the law. I'm in jail because I preached the gospel and I don't want you to lose heart about that. I don't, wanna, I don't want you to forget who Jesus is. I don't want you to forget who you are in Christ. And so how, how do we do that? When you're, when you're walking with a friend who's in suffering, Maybe a health crisis or, or, or financial hardship or, or deep relationship struggles. How, how do we not lose heart? When you're facing your own trials that seem so overwhelming, how do we not lose heart? I think Paul lays it out for us so clearly in these verses. And if you're taking notes, here's, here's the first way we don't lose heart. Uh, I'm in God's plan. We remember though that we're in God's plan. I'm in God's plan. If you're in Christ, if you put your hope in him, you're in his plan. I mean, Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. How crazy is that? He doesn't say I'm a prisoner because of the Romans. I'm not a prisoner of the Romans. I'm a, I'm a prisoner of Christ. And Jesus has a plan. And the suffering I'm in has not taken me out of the plan, Paul's saying. I'm still his. I'm still in his plan. I'm a prisoner for him, of him. So I'm a prisoner for you Gentiles. That means everybody who's not Jewish. It goes on, look at verse two. He says, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. He's talking about the letter he's writing right now. I've written this out for you. When, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations as it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul's saying, listen, listen, there's this plan. There was this, this mystery. Now, in, in New Testament language, when you see that word mystery, here's what it means. It means something that, that was hidden in the Old Testament, now revealed in Christ. So it's not like, oh, I gotta find the clues. No, it's, like, it's something that God said, hey, I'm not gonna fully show you this until the right time. And now he reveals it. And now we look back and we look at the Old Testament like, wow, it's so clear. It was all pointing to Jesus. 
And Paul's saying, listen, this, this is what I have, this mystery that, that I've been brought, that's been brought to me by God, the mystery revealed. What is the mystery? Look at verse 6. Here's the mystery. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He's saying the Gentiles. What are you saying? He says, the nations. We're fellow heirs now. We're part of the same family that God's chosen people, the Israelites, that where he chose them. He said, these are your promises. He's now saying they're yours too. I mean, this is incredible. The, the blessing that was poured out on Israel, it's now poured out on those who trust in Jesus. Grafted in, heirs, adopted. That's the mystery of the gospel. That God had a plan for Israel all along, that, that through Israel, the nations would be saved. And so he's saying, don't lose heart. You've been brought into this plan. They say, don't lose heart because anybody can get in on this if you put your trust in Christ. If, if you're a doubting person, like maybe you come in here this morning and you're, you're kind of on the fence about Jesus. You're, you're kicking the tires of Christianity. Listen, anyone can get in on this. We don't lose hope because it's for anybody, like, like the most skeptical, the, the, the one with the most doubts about Jesus. I mean, look here, look at verse 7. Paul says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. You read through the book of Acts and you, you read about who Paul was. I mean, this guy was a, not, not just a skeptic, not just a critic of Christianity. He wasn't just deconstructing his faith. No, he was looking to deconstruct the whole church. Like he, he, was, he was trying to kill Christians. He was trying to stop the movement of the gospel. He hated the church. So if you have doubts about Jesus, you, you, you probably can't even come close to touching Paul's doubts. He was diametrically opposed to the gospel and then he met Jesus. I mean, how many of you have that same story? You're like, man, I, I was going in my way. I didn't even know. I wasn't even caring. Or maybe you were like, man, I was angry. I didn't want anything to do with this. And then I met Jesus and I, and I saw his glory and I heard of his grace and my heart was changed. And Paul's saying, listen, this suffering that I'm in right now, it's to make that message known, that anybody can get in on this. He goes on, look at verse eight. He says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, Paul actually makes up a word there. It's, it's like super bad grammar. He's like, I'm the leastest. He's trying to say, I'm, I'm, that's how low I was. The leastest of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. How do, how do we not lose heart in the midst of suffering? Because we recognize, man, we're in God's plan. No amount of suffering, no amount of sorrow and grief and loss and failure, nothing can undo the plans God has for you in Christ Jesus. You're not outside of his plan because suffering comes. And here's the greatest part of this plan. It's, it's, it's not a, a path that you follow. It's not just a, a religion you jump into, but, but the part of this plan that, that we take joy in, that our, our heart does not get troubled because we recognize this, that we get Jesus. And that's what the gospel says, that you, you actually get Christ. You actually get to, to, to have Christ. That, 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 I mean, it's just nuts when you think what the gospel says, that at the same time that you're sinful, you're also declared righteous. At the very same time that you're sinful, you're accepted. And that's the mystery that moves our hearts when we're, when we're suffering. And we're like, I might be suffering, but I've got Jesus. 
I have the unsearchable riches of Christ. That means this. It means that better than anything else this world could offer. Better than any comfort I could get from, from the, what the world would give you. Better than any pleasure. Better than any riches. Better than any amount of popularity. Jesus is better and worth more. That he speaks a better story over our life. He gives a better word than anything else could give us. And so Paul says, don't lose heart. God's brought you into that plan. And listen, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper after the message this morning. And when you take the bread and you take the cup and, and, and you remember that, that Jesus says about the bread, this is my body given for you, and the, about the cup, this is my blood poured out for you. Listen, we could celebrate the Lord's Supper every day, not just every Sunday. We could do it every day and over and over again and hundreds and hundreds of us celebrating this together. And listen, every time we did it, it would be true. Christ's body given for you. Christ's blood poured out for you. You can't get to the bottom. You can't tap the depth of the riches that Jesus offers to us. It's, it's inexhaustible. When it comes to his power and his grace and, and his might and his love poured out on you, so don't lose heart. In the midst of your suffering, that you would remember he knows you. You're his. You're in the plan through Jesus Christ. Here's another way we don't lose heart. We remember this. Not only am I in God's plan, here's another one. I don't suffer alone. I don't suffer alone. I mean, Paul reminds us here that, that, that following Jesus, being a part of this plan, that coming into the family of God, we don't come in alone. It's not a personal thing. Look at verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We're going to unpack that thing a little bit later. That's crazy when you think, what? We're doing something for the, the heavenly place? What's going on there? Verse 11, this is, was according to the eternal purpose that, he, that has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's he say? He said this plan that, that, that through the church, that, that through the church, it's not just through you, it's through the church. That you, you don't suffer alone. You don't strive for the gospel alone. You're never alone in this. You, you have the body of Christ around you to, to walk with you, to weep with you, to suffer with you, to cry with you, to meet your needs. That's the church. The church is not just a place we roll into on Sunday morning just to, for worship, but, but we come in together to worship. We go out together to do life together. It was just a couple of weeks ago, I was meeting with somebody and they were talking about some difficulties they were going through. And it was hard. It wasn't easy. It would, it would be suffering. And, and he said this, he said, but here, here's what was so great. He goes, I, I, what I love about worship, he goes, I came into church and he knew the story of a man who was in our service and he looked over at this guy who, who's a widow, a widower, struggling, and he goes, and I saw him with his hands raised in worship. So it stirred my heart. I'm a part of something bigger. I, I, I'm encouraged to come into worship because of those who are worshiping around me. We have each other. We have each other to bear burdens, to help point us to Jesus so we don't forget whose we are. I mean, that's our mission to each other. I was talking to somebody else who had just experienced tragedy in their life and, 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 and they had had a, a really uh, traumatic experience and people rallied around, like doctors and paramedics and all that stuff, rallied around this person and for the time they were in trial, they, they were cared for well, but they said, you know, the next day, those people weren't following up with me. They said this, but my church was. 
The church cared. The church checked in. The church provided for my needs. The church called me. The church prayed with me. The church was helping me out. That's the body of Christ. That's normal for a church. I mean, what God's created in the church is like nothing else on earth. The gospel cuts through everything. It cuts through all our financial status, all our our backgrounds. It cuts through race and class and all of those things. And the gospel says, no, we come united together. So that when one member of the body suffers, we gather around. I love it in Corinthians, it talks about the church as the body of Christ. And I, I think of it this way. If you have young kids, you've probably experienced Lego at night. Anybody, right? Kind of creeping as dark and right. I don't know how they build those things to be so painful, right? I'm like, forget alarm systems around your house. Just spread Lego around, and no criminals coming in, right? But what happens when you when you step on a piece of Lego? What's the first thing you do? You don't go. Mm. No, you go ah, right? You jump down. You ah, you you come around where the pain is. That's how the body works. That when one part of the body is hurting, the rest of the body, just like that, comes around that part. That's what the church is supposed to be. And so my challenge to you is this. Don't abandon the church. We need you so much. We need each other. Don't pull back or hold back from those who are suffering. And listen, if you're suffering, don't don't pull away. And I get it, church can be messy. We are far from a perfect church. Our church is filled with with busted up, imperfect, messy people. And listen, if we keep the focus on the gospel, there's just going to be more of that, okay? Just so you know, right? It's not going to make us a, a more of a perfect church. We'll continue to be a messy church by God's grace. The bride of Christ, the church, is still imperfect. There's a friends of mine in the South, they've got this saying when they look at some marriages. I don't think we use it in Canada, but they, maybe we do. I don't know. Where they'd say something, they'd say like this, say, that person married crazy. You ever heard that before, right? Man, that person married crazy, right? They, they look at a spouse that's nuts, and so they say, man, that person married crazy. Listen, the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus married crazy, okay? And by his grace, he, he pours out his life for us, and one day we will be perfect when we stand before him spotless and purified and holy and, and completely redeemed, like the song we were singing, the Revelation song, like, like, I can't wait for that day when every believer from every tribe and tongue and nation who know Jesus will gather together and we'll sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Amen. <laughs> that by his blood we're ransomed. I mean, that's the body of Christ. In verse 11, what does it say? It says that this this mission has this eternal purpose to it. I mean, it's so much more than just the here and now for us as a church, as we gather together. And here's what I love about the eternal purpose. It means this, this mission will never fail. Man, I'm reading so many blogs and social media posts that talk about how the church is not gonna survive and it's in decline. 2,000 years, the church has moved forward because Jesus promised it would. That suffering won't crush the church. In fact, suffering does the opposite. It grows God's people. So I would say this, stay in this, suffer with us, pour yourself out for each other. Let's shoulder each other's burdens. Let's carry whatever loads, let's carry them together so that we don't lose heart. Here's a third way we don't lose heart. And it's this, this one's a harder one. Hardships are not always about me. We realize that hardships are not always about me. 
I mean, suffering has this way of curving us inward to, to, to really look into ourselves all the time. In fact, church kind of can do that, right? Where it's, it's all about me and I got to think about me. And when, when suffering comes, I, I just kind of hide out or just hold on. And, and, and Paul's looking at the fact that he's a prisoner and he's, he's, he's instantly looking outward. He's saying, I'm suffering, but it's not about me. Look at verse one. He says, it's, it's who? It's on behalf of you Gentiles. Verse two, it says, because of the stewardship of God's grace given to me for you. Verse eight, he says, to me, though I'm the least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to you, the Gentiles. Verse 13, I ask you not to lose heart for what I'm suffering for you. Paul says, this isn't about me. I was talking to a pastor recently who was doing a funeral for a young guy who had died in his church. And the dad said to him at the funeral, the dad came up and said, I've spent every day on my knees praying for my son that God would heal my son. He says, but starting today, I'm praying every day for my son's friends to come to the funeral and maybe through the presentation of the gospel, they would come to know the Lord. You see the, pers the perspective shift he had. And I'm not saying that every trial you have will, will have this amazing purpose where we'll be able to, to pinpoint, oh, that's why I'm going through this. That's why God was doing this. I mean, some trials might be a mystery that we'll never know, but let's, let's, let's not waste any trial. Let's not, let's not waste any of our suffering. Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. He says in verses seven, eight, nine, he talks about being a, a minister of the gospel. That word minister there, it can be translated as, as servant. I'm a servant of the gospel. I, I don't belong to myself anymore. He said, when the, when the gospel overwhelmed me, Paul says, when I, when I saw Jesus, I became his. I'm a servant of his. I'm a follower of his. I, I'm the least. I've lost all my privileges, but that's okay because I've got the unsearchable riches of Christ now. He says, I've got this amazing job of telling others of this gospel that changed everything. He would say, I've got Jesus, and suffering can't touch that. And now Paul recognizes that his life now is about sharing this same gospel to others. In, in, in our life group that I'm in, our life group asked this question as we we're looking through this passage together. Um, the question was asked this by our life group leader, said, what, what will you do with the gospel this week? If you're struggling, what will you do with your struggling? What does it look like to look outward and not, not always looking inward? And it's, it's, it's amazing that in suffering, we have a megaphone for the gospel. So what does your social media say about the surpassing worth of Jesus in light of suffering? What does your life say? Here's, here's one last point, and this last point is mind-blowing. For us not to lose heart, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. If, if we're suffering, especially for the world to see Jesus, here's our, here's our last point. It's this, hardships have a heavenly audience. When I read this, this just blew my mind. Look at verse 10. It says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So as the church, as we do this together, as the church, the, as, as we risk our lives and risk our reputations and, and display Jesus in our lives, it says this, the angels are watching. I mean, it says in 1 Peter 1.12 that the angels lean in because they want to see how this whole gospel thing plays out. They're trying to figure out how this all works and, and God's chosen to reveal his wisdom in the gospel. So the angels are going, man, I, I want to look in because they're looking to see as, as we suffer, there's this confirmation of the gospel that they already know. They know how loving God is. They know how glorious he is, but they're looking on us and of all the possibilities that God could have chosen. 
to reveal his wisdom to the angels. I mean, I think of it this way. In, in creation, he reveals his glory to us. He's saying right here, in us, he reveals his glory to the angels. Now, I don't think Paul's only talking about angels here. Paul uses the exact same words here of rulers and authorities in the heavenlies in, in chapter 6 when he talks about the demonic. So I wonder if, if, if the angels are watching in on how we do life, how we give our, our lives to the gospel, how we suffer well because Jesus is our ultimate treasure and the angels are looking in to bring praise. And God's saying to the demons, look, to show you how wrong you were in your rebellion, in your deception. How we live out this gospel in suffering has an audience. There's an audience watching us as a church right now. And not just the rest of the world, because the world watches in too, but, but this is, this is in, the, in the spiritual realm, there's this cosmic audience. I mean, think about it. an audience that's, that's far more knowledgeable than we are. I mean, the angels watched as God spoke the world into existence. The, the angels were present when stars were formed. The, the angels were there when, when God called Abraham and, and Moses and he, and he parted the Red Sea and they, they witnessed the glory of God descending on Mount Sinai. They, they, they were there with the Shekinah glory in the temple. They, they, they saw the miraculous return of the exiles from Babylon. The, the angels participated in the announcement of Jesus, the Messiah. They, they were there when Jesus died, when he was buried, when he rose again, when he ascended. The angels right now are in heaven singing and worshiping around the throne. And yet it's us. It's the church who God said, yeah, I'm going to reveal it through you. I want to reveal my wisdom and plan through you. I want to fill you with my spirit. I want to display my power. I want to magnify my glory. I want to demonstrate my love. We've been chosen. When we think about it, we've been chosen for the lead role on the biggest stage in the universe. That every time we go through a hardship, every time we gather like this to worship, the angels are watching. They're looking at the church. Here's my question. What are they seeing in us? Maybe when you're treated unfairly at work and you continue to have this gracious attitude towards your coworkers or towards your boss. When you've been betrayed or you've been hurt or you've been wounded and, and you refuse to become bitter. When you suffer and you still worship through your suffering because you know that, that what you lose in suffering, you've gained so much more in Christ and the angels are going, that's incredible. God chose you to display his glory to the angels. So listen, whatever you do, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. 